Hello and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. This is our 98th episode. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week we take you on a trip down memory lane back 50 years and we report to you all the hockey and other sporting news that was taking place during that time. In this week's show, we're looking at the week of September 6th to September 12th, 1971. Okay, so the first Sunday of the NFL season is finally here and the excitement continues with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Bet just $1 on any football game this weekend and receive $200 in free bets instantly no matter what. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has given all new customers $200 from free bets instantly when they bet at least a dollar on any football game. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN, that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network, to receive $200 in free bets when you play place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Of course, in addition to DraftKings, we are also sponsored by Newspapers.com, where we get much of our historical information to be able to give you the Twitter account news every day and this podcast every week. And don't forget about the Breakwall Brewing Company, beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. They produce some of the finest craft beers in southern Ontario, and they're just a great place to meet up for some great food and some great brew. And if you like what we do here every day on uh, on Twitter and each week on the podcast, you can help us out a lot by going to patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we also have some really neat stuff in special content where we delve more deeply and in greater detail to some of the stories that dominated the hockey world 50 years ago. That's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years. So we're in the second week of September 1971. I got to tell you, we got a lot of news to get through this week for early, early in what would be uh, the 71-72 hockey year. There was a lot going on uh, and, and a huge story that we'll get to a little later on. But to start up, I think we're just going to get right into a lot of quick hits from the different teams as training camps were getting set to open. In fact, by the end of this week, quite a few training camps were underway. The Boston Bruins were preparing to move off to London, Ontario to Treasure Island Gardens to open their training camp and a few more bodies were slated to take part in this season than in other years. How many more? Well, Bruins trainer Dan Canney gives us an idea of what he's facing logistically this year as the week began. An idea of the expanded operations at London might be derived from the logistical plans of the head Bruins trainer Dan Canny. Dan and his chief aide, John Frosty Forrestal, have been busy for more than a week together with the new Braves trainers here in the second week of September. The new trainers are Terry Long and Steve Morash, and they are, of course, the trainers for the new AHL team in Boston, which we said known as the Brave. <laughs> 
So what they've been doing, they've been preparing equipment and packing a lot of the stuff away. Dan Canny said they have 80 complete hockey outfits ready to go. And he says, you'll get an idea of our expansion in personnel when I tell you that this year we're going to be loading a 20-foot trailer truck. Last year, the truck they took up to London was only a 16-foot job. The equipment will start being uh, their journey north on Tuesday. The trainers, actually, they're going to leave on Wednesday for London where they're going to set up eight different dressing rooms in Treasure Island Gardens for a record-size playing group for the Bruins for this year's training camp. We have some Oakland, California, Golden Seals news, whatever you want to call them this week. Uh, we're going to give you a little bit of an idea on how this team is going to be run, not only by owner Charlie Finley, but by the rookie general manager, Gary Young. And as we will see as time goes on, Gary Young was truly a rookie at being a general manager. I don't know how he talked to a guy like Finley, who was a fairly experienced, although not very skillful, team owner in other major sports. Finley knew nothing about hockey, and he continued to prove it by the people that he hired. And you'll see this right through this upcoming 71-72 season. That's all I'm going to say right now for those of you who don't remember. You're going to see things happen that Young does, that Finley does. They're going to tell you just what a hot, stinking mess this Seals franchise really was. John Porter of the Oakland Tribune uh, was reporting for us, and he said that right in line with the policy of new, young, fresh faces for the approaching season, the Seals sold veteran right-winger Bill Hickey to the pit Pittsburgh Penguins early in the week and what they received in turn was nothing but cold hard cash. Hickey who's now 33 by the way was the second veteran player sold in two days with defenseman Doug Roberts having been sent to the Bruins earlier last week. The price for each of these players was not disclosed but you can probably guess that it was a little bit more than the standard waiver price and that's why the seals made the deal. They like uh, they they like cash a lot more than they like any other kind of assets. What they probably have to spend money on. Now, Bill Bill Hickey is not exactly a plug, even though he's thirty three. Last season, he scored eighteen goals and added seventeen assists uh, for a decent NHL season back in a in a fourteen team league. Uh, he is the club's all-time, the Seals' all-time leading goal scorer. He's got 79 to this point in his career. Now, Hickey was not happy being in Oakland, and the Seals were not happy at having to pay him. We found out later that they had been advised that arbiter Ed Houston, who was looking at uh, Hickey's salary dispute, and was arbitrating the situation, was going to rule in favor of Hickey, and that's why they gave him away for nothing but cold, hard cash. And a team that's as bad as this needed other help other than just cash, I would think. But this is your rookie GM taking his marching orders from a boss who knows nothing about the sport that uh, Young is supposed to be generally managing. Now, one other thing we wanted we wanted to add about this deal, again, just to give you an insight in what they're doing here, Bill Hickey was the SEALs player representative to the National Hockey League Players Association. Now, there were some other binding contract decisions made by Arbiter Houston this week as well, and they were for goalie Gary Smith, left winger Wayne Carlton, and uh, another couple of forwards, Gary Crotto and Gary Jarrett. Now, Hickey is going to come out on this all right because the contract he was awarded by Houston will be fully honored by Penguins general manager Red Kelly. Four more players are expected to go to arbitration this week for the Seals. Don O'Donohue, Carl Vadney, Bobby Sheehan, and Stan Gilbertson. And uh, now this, uh, with the departure of Hickey and Doug Roberts, there is only one original Seal left with the team. One player chosen in the 1967 expansion draft remains 
with the California Golden Seals. You know who that is? Big goalie Gary Smith. But stay tuned. We will have more news on Gary Smith later this week. But before we get to that, which will come a little later on in the show, we're trying to go in a bit of chronological order. One more item early this week from the Seals. It just keeps getting goofy. The Charles O. Finley, the owner of the Seals, now was reported to have offered the Seals coaching job to Bernie Boom Boom Jeffrion, the famous former Montreal Canadian and New York Ranger. He's a former high-scoring right winger. He now scouts Quebec for the New York Rangers, and he's also a former coach of the Rangers, and he coaches well in the American League with the Quebec Aces. Now, there's one slight little hitch to this story. If you've been paying attention, you will realize that Jeffreyon's appointment, if it were to be confirmed, crimps the style of present coach Fred Glover, who hasn't been fired, hasn't been reassigned, and says he knows absolutely nothing about this situation. Glover's in his third year as Seals coach. It's known that Young very, very uh, high opinion of himself from what we've heard from people, wants to put his stamp and his face on this team. And so he probably wants to get rid of Glover. And they think they can get Jeffrey on cheaper than they already pay Glover. I wouldn't bet on that, knowing the boomer. Stay tuned on this story. There were a lot of uh, contract signings this week, as one would expect as we get closer to uh, training camps. And, of course, uh, the arbitration process has begun, and teams are trying to get guys to sign up before uh, rolling the dice with an arbitrator. The Bruins uh, finally got Phil Esposito under contract this week. Esposito, along with his uh, tax lawyer and a business manager, announced that he had signed a four-year contract with the Bruins and that he was very happy with it. Well, why wouldn't he be? Now, his advisor said that the salary was for much more than a previously speculated amount of three hundred and thirty grand for the four years. Esposito, hockey's most prolific scorer, would only repeat he was very, 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 you know the story, very happy. Neither the Bruins nor Esposito's spokesman could say whether or not the contract would be affected by the United States presidential decree freezing wages and prices. And we all know the mess that that was creating damn near everywhere in the American economy. The advisors did say the contract was signed on August 31st after 11 months of negotiations, but that they had no ruling yet on their status under the wage and price freeze. Esposito scored a record pace last year, getting 76 goals and a like number of assists for 152 points. Of course, that was a National Hockey League record. A tax attorney for the 29-year-old Espo, he's Arnold Bloom of Boston, avoided committing himself on the question of deferred payments on this particular contract. But he did say he was sure that the pact would make Esposito's family, quote, comfortable for life. As you would expect at a, at a party like this, Espo was saying all the right things. He uh, made a statement. He said, I believe a player is paid for value and performance. The Bruins have been very, very fair with me. Espo said, I've never had any trouble with them. He said he was more than happy with the contract because it provides security for himself and his family. I think I've heard that at just about every large contract signing in every sport that I ever bothered to pay attention to. Same thing all over again. Why upset the apple cart now? It took a while, and Espo was probably hoping to get same money as Bobby Orr. That wasn't going to happen. You'll notice Alan Eagleson's name is not prominent anywhere in this contract, despite the fact that Stan Fischler had gone on record at this time last year saying that Esposito was going to get $400,000 and that it would be done by, of course, Al Eagleson. He was not present in these negotiations as far as we've been able to find out anyway. 
The Bruins' chief rival for superiority in the National Hockey League's Eastern Division is, of course, the Montreal Canadiens. Well, Jacques Laperriere, Guy Lapointe, and Phil Roberto accepted one-year contracts with the Canadiens, and that left only three members of that team still unsigned, and no one was anticipating any problems getting these guys on the dotted line that hadn't signed yet. Those three guys were veteran defenseman Terry Harper. Uh, he he was just, just getting back from a trip to Europe. They weren't expected to have any trouble getting him under contract. And the other two, Peter Mahovlich and J.C. Tremblay, hadn't yet signed. And they were expected to go to arbitration, which was kind of interesting for the very laid-back, laconic Pete Mahovlich. Uh, but Pete, you know, he, he uh, scored 35 goals last year, and Trombley was a first-team All-Star. So they're going to uh, want to get paid, I think. Pete especially blossoming last year. And we'll see what happens with their arbitration as time goes on. Speaking of Lake Canadien, uh, we have a little bit of other news for him. Not quite hockey, but it has to do with a hockey personality as Scotty Bowman returning to his hometown to coach the Canadians might not have felt so welcome this week. Scotty Bowman figures nothing but good should come his way as coach of the Montreal Canadiens, but at least that's what he's hoping after his latest stroke of bad luck since he uh, left the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> well, Bowman ran into Pat Curran of the Montreal Gazette and said, guess what? I took a little trip last week and came home to find out I'd been robbed. The thieves broke into Bowman's new home in Dorval and got away with about $4,500 in loot. They took five pretty valuable watches, Scotty said, also listing losing a color TV set, his wife's fur coat, and he said some other things as well. Everything was dumped all over in the house, but thankful it wasn't worse than what it was. Scotty said, I've had a fair share of bad luck in 1971, so things have to get better. Maybe a Stanley Cup, Scotty? Things started happening shortly after Bowman resigned his position with the Blues. The day he sold his house in St. Louis, the place caught fire, and only quick work by St. Louis firefighters saved it from extensive damage. And then on the way to Montreal, Scotty and his wife got a scare when a short circuit developed in their trailer. Then during a visit to Dan Kelly's summer cottage near Ottawa, the trailer almost backed down the side of a mountain. Scotty says, I'll be glad to get back on the ice where things seem to happen fairly normally for him. Scotty says, my luck has got to turn around now. Well, that new uh, NHL size arena uh, on Long Island, well underway, just about finished actually. You're going to be hearing a lot more about this Nassau County Coliseum as this season goes on. Uh, it's going to be the center of some controversy as well, as we'll report on. This week, they finally got a manager, and he is, or was, the manager of the Salt Lake City Salt Palace. What a name for uh, an event venue. And he was named to manage the Coliseum, which, of course, as we mentioned, is scheduled to open next spring. The new manager is Earl L. Durier just 33 years old, and he said he expects to assume the post on October 15th. Now, Nassau County Colle uh, County Executive Casso, who made the appointment, said Durier will be signed to a three-year contract, and he's going to get $35,000 a year. Two very important members of the Minnesota North Stars came to terms this week as well as Jude Druin and Bill Goldsworthy they signed their 1971-72 contracts. Both of these guys are going to start the season at the same rate of pay that they received last year. And that's just because of the wage and price freeze. There it is again. But president of the North Stars, Walter Bush Jr., said that each would be paid a new rate. In other words, they'll both get raises when the freeze is supposed to be lifted on November 15th. Now, Bill says, Bill Goldsworthy said that he's written a book that will make him a better player for the North Stars, but he said, I got to get off to a good start this year or my book just won't sell. 
Another important player for another team signed this week, and that is center left winger Andre Boudia. And he just let Al Eagleson negotiate his contract, and he got a new deal as well with the hefty raise. Uh, Bujia said that Eagleson was instrumental in making the deal for him. I wonder how Andre felt in a few years. We'll talk about that as time goes on. Uh, a couple more players, actually three more players, signed their contracts this week with the Canucks. They were defenseman Barry Wilkins, left winger Wayne Mackey, and center Ralph Stewart. Like a lot of people, I was wondering at this point in time who was going to replace Ward Cornell as the... Um, host master of ceremonies for the hockey night in Canada Toronto broadcast so we had been let know last week that Ward was stepping away his decision nobody else's he had other things he wanted to pursue this week Jim Proudfoot of the Toronto Star had this in his, in his column that he puts out several times a week Proudfoot writes that the man who seems most likely to succeed Ward Cornell as interviewer on the Hockey Night in Canada telecast is former California Golden Seals general manager Frank Selke Jr., who did a similar job for years, of course, on the Montreal portions of the broadcast prior to moving out to Oakland when the NHL expanded. But... Proudfoot cautions Selkie is not quite available because he has an executive post of some sort with the Hockey Night in Canada uh, office suite. But of course, he could probably double down and do both jobs as well. We did get some good news about the team that will broadcast the Maple Leafs or the at least the Toronto games this year. Bob Goldham and Jack Dennett are both expected to remain in their positions on that broadcast team, and we're really happy about that. A busy week for contracts with the Toronto Maple Leafs this week. Early in the week, they got three young defensemen uh, to sign on the dotted line. They were Mike Pellick, Ricky Lee, and Brad Selwood, all expected to play key roles in Toronto this year. And then just before the week ended, uh, Donnie Marshall, the veteran picked up in the June draft from the uh, Buffalo Sabres, agreed to terms with the Maple Leafs. Don had originally said that he was going to retire. Seems to be the magic uh, potion for getting more money. It worked last year when he told the Sabres the same thing when they drafted him. But Don Marshall's going to play for the Leafs this year. Along center Jim Harrison, the Leafs got him, of course, in a trade with the Bruins for Wayne Carlton. And Brian Glennie, that big, tough defenseman, former Canadian national team player, he agreed to a 71 72 contract with the Leafs this week as well. Philadelphia Flyers were busy uh, during the past seven days. They sold veteran right winger Cliff Schmatz to Portland of the Western League. Schmatz had 13 goals and 18 assists in the NHL last year. If you remember, he was picked up by the Buffalo Sabres early in the season last year, then put on waivers, claimed by the Flyers, and now they've sent him back to the Western League at Portland, where Cliff is quite comfortable. The Flyers also got a few guys under contract for... To be exact, Serge Bernier, Jean-Guy Gendron, Bill Lesouk, and Larry Mickey. And I was starting to get the impression that uh, Jean-Guy Gendron was going to play hockey forever. I didn't think he'd still be around, but there he was, signing another Flyers contract. Penguins were also busy. They got veteran goalie Roy Edwards to agree to terms, along with young defenseman Dave Burrows and center Rene Robert, who was picked up in the draft after uh, moving from Toronto to Buffalo and then to Pittsburgh. Now, Edwards, of course, you remember last year, sustained a very serious fractured skull, decided to retire from hockey, said he didn't want to play in Detroit anymore, was claimed in the interleague draft, intra-league draft from the Red Wings by the uh, Penguins, and now he signed the contract. Maybe it wasn't the fractured fractured skull that, that uh, caused Roy Edwards to want to retire. Maybe it was the circus that is the Detroit front office. Who knows about that? We might even hear more of that in this broadcast. Here's a story that, that I figured was long overdue. I'd always wondered about this because my sister, uh, she loved hockey as much as I did. And she, when we were out on the pond, 
uh, playing skating. She took part. She played uh, just as much as I did out there on, on her skates, even though she had figure skates. Uh, she always wanted regular hockey skates. My mom and dad would never get her that. Uh, but this year, Cornell University, the Big Red, will sponsor a girls' undergraduate ice hockey team. Some 20 ladies have already signed up for the team, which will begin practice September 20th at the field adjacent to the Helen Newman Gym on the Cornell campus. Pembroke is one of the few Eastern schools that has ice hockey, and we're trying to schedule a game with them for January, and the rest of the schedule is pretty much up in the air right now, according to Gail Murphy, who's going to be the coach of this team. Gail said we're welcoming any undergraduate women who want to play. We'll begin with calisthenics in the early September workouts, and then we'll move inside to the ice, and they're hoping to play a few exhibition games this year. This is a significant movement for women's hockey, and we were really happy to see it take place 50 years ago, but that just tells you how long it's taken for women's hockey to really get the attention it deserves from the people who run the sport. Remember we said we'd talk a little bit more about Gary Young, the general manager of the Oakland Seals. Well, near the end of the week, a fairly significant National Hockey League trade took place as the Seals rid themselves of their final original cast member as they opened their training camp in Oshawa, Ontario. Gary Young, the general manager of the California Seals, announced the club had traded goalkeeper uh, Gary Smith, as we mentioned earlier, their final original Seal. Well, they traded him to the Chicago Blackhawks for three players, and Young must have been just wondering how lucky he was to make a deal to get three guys for Gary Smith, who wasn't happy in Oakland either. The three guys going to the Seals were goalie Jerry Desjardins, right winger Jerry Pinder, and left winger by the name of Kerry Bond. Remember him? Not many do. As we mentioned, Smith is one of the original Seals. He's now 27. He's 6'4", 215 pounds, and he had a 3.87 average, playing in an amazing 71 games for the Seals last year. He didn't deserve a new contract or a trade. Playing for that team for 71 times, he deserved the Medal of Honor. Desjardins is also 27. He's 5'11", 186. He played 22 games with the Blackhawks and allowed 49 goals for a fine 241 average. Now, he was always regarded as one of the great up-and-coming young goalies when he rose to stardom with the LA Kings and then was inexplicably traded to the Blackhawks. Now, why would he even be traded? Well, Jerry Desjardins is a fellow who marches to the beat of his own drum, much like Suitcase Smith. Jerry, in his second year with the Kings, had his wife negotiate his contract with general manager Larry Regan. He was viewed by Regan from then on as some kind of a goofy malcontent, and Regan couldn't wait to get rid of him, and he did last year. The return in this deal that sent Bill White and uh, Desjardins and Brian Campbell, I believe, to the Blackhawks, netted basically not much for the Kings, including a veteran goalie named Dennis DeJordi, whose best before date was a couple of years ago. Also going to the Seals, Jerry Pinder, 5'8", 165 winger, and with Chicago last year, he scored 13 goals, 18 assists for 31 points. Pinder as everyone knows, quit the Blackhawks during the playoffs last year, wasn't happy about being benched, walked away from his team, and you just don't do that in the world of hockey. Hockey players don't make waves. Well, they do, but when they make waves, they get traded. In the case of Jerry Desjardins, he landed on his feet in Chicago. Jerry Pinder goes to a terrible situation in Oakland. So you might have been thinking, geez, this young guy is pretty sharp. I mean, he gets three guys for a guy with a very inflated goals against average who didn't even want to be there. Well, stay tuned on this one. This trade is going to cause the NHL headaches. It's going to cause the Seals headaches. And it's going to cause Gary Young 
a giant headache as well. You'll see as time goes on in the coming weeks. Our last, uh, well, actually second last, but our last note uh, style of the week uh, comes from Wayne Fleming. Wayne Fleming is a sports columnist of the Edmonton Journal. Now, as you know, Edmonton is one of these cities that this new World Hockey Association thing is making noise about putting a team in there to compete directly with the National Hockey League. Wayne and Wayne Fleming doesn't think much of this. Now, there's another columnist for the Edmonton Journal, and that's Wayne Overland, and he does a lot of he does most of the work with the WHA. And of course, he's all for big league hockey or some reasonable facsimile coming to another Canadian city, that being Edmonton. Wayne Fleming remains unconvinced about the WHA. In fact, his uh, column, I believe this was on Thursday. Uh, he says, today's chuckle is a suggestion that the so-called World Hockey Association is about to go into opposition to the National Hockey League. This is utter nonsense to expect localities like our prairie towns, remember he's in Edmonton, waging a price war with the NHL for playing talent. According to Wayne Fleming, that ain't got a chance of happening. Okay. So the final uh, final article this week, we knew uh, we knew this day would come. It was unthinkable for most of us who were hockey fans, but yet in the back of our collective minds, we knew it was inevitable. But it was still a shock, and most of us really, really didn't believe it would stick. We all thought that he would consider and somehow manage to keep playing for the Red Wings uh, well into his fifties, but. Uh, it, the week started with rumors from several different news outlets in the hockey world that Gordie Howe was going to retire. They said it would be at a news conference Wednesday or Thursday of this week. The Detroit News was, I think, the first to report it. The Toronto Star had the story, I think, somewhere that that afternoon after the news had reported it, I think, in the morning. And it that time was just... Reports are saying, the reports in this case, the rumors, they all turned out to be true. There was a press conference. Gordie Howe did announce he was hanging up his skates and he was no longer going to play for the Detroit Red Wings. That part of the story did stick. Gordie Howe would never again wear the Red Wing uniform in a National Hockey League game course as history shows us this story had not yet been written to its final chapter and as time goes on of course we will report on all that and we'll try and give you a good history of what happens next right now we couldn't have even anticipated what was going to happen we were sad now Gordie Howe had a special place in my heart because he and my dad shared the same birthday in the same year on the same day on the same planet my dad always said that God played a cruel joke on everybody else. And instead of spreading hockey talent around equally with all the guys that were born that day, he dumped it all into one individual named Howe out in Saskatchewan, and he became the greatest hockey player that ever lived. And up until this point in time, Gordie Howe was the greatest hockey player that ever lived as far as most of us were concerned. And you can make the argument 50 years later that he still is the greatest hockey player that ever lived. Of course, in that time since, there have been some guys that have come along, guys like Orr, uh, some kid named Gretzky, a big guy named Lemieux, who could lay claim to that uh, title as well. But at this point in time, the undisputed greatest of all time was Gordie Howe. Now, this is a very, very interesting story. And for this week's show, we're going to let some of uh, uh, a couple of Detroit's greatest sports journalists actually tell the story of the retirement. And I think what we're going to do is in a in a future overtime session, uh, the overtime sessions are, are those special uh, episodes that we put together for our Patreon describers. We're going to go right across the spectrum of uh, reports around 
the National Hockey League that told the story of Gordy's retirement. And we'll see how those reporters around the hockey world, the sports world, actually, paid homage to how on his retirement didn't stick, but everybody thought it would. But for now, we're going to start off with George Puskas of the Detroit Free Press. He's their sports editor, and he is going to tell us how that great paper handled the Gordie Howe retirement story. Gordie Howe will play no more. The greatest player hockey has known, perhaps the finest athlete of our time, has reached the end of a long and fabled career. Howe, 43 years old, arthritic of wrist and elbow, his competitive spirit tempered by his years, revealed on Tuesday of this week that he would not have a 26th National Hockey League season. He is quit, he said, because he feels he can no longer perform adequately and he does not want to embarrass himself or his team. Now, there's more to it than that, but for the moment, hockey in Detroit must pause to acknowledge the end of an era and the withdrawal from action scene of a most remarkable man. In his game and in his town, he was the image of Ty Cobb. His skills unexcelled, his achievements unparalleled. Name them the truly great who have graced the city of Detroit's arenas, Cobb, Cochran, Geringer, a football player here and there, and none of those guys can surpass in his legend the Red Wings number nine. Howe's retirement comes as no real surprise. Through the summer, Howe hinted uh, very darkly that he just might not play again. Then, in the morning mail came invitations to attend a Thursday luncheon with Red Wing owner Bruce Norris and Howe. It was clear then what Howe's intentions actually were. Not until late afternoon, when Howe was reached while playing golf at the Plum Hollow Golf Club with his son Mark, who's 16, was the retirement confirmed and the reasons explained. Gordy said, last year I felt like I was cheating. It seemed like I was making excuses all the time for the way I was playing. Gordy said he just couldn't go on like that. He had to be honest with himself and with the Detroit fans, and that's the great ones thinking of the fans. In what was a disastrous season for Gordy Howe, but considered very good for anybody else, Gordy scored 23 goals despite a rib injury and constant pain in his arms. Gord said, I wasn't kidding myself. I only got 23 goals because of one particular hot streak. He says, I didn't play very well. Gord said he could still execute the big play, but he couldn't do it as often as he was accustomed. Through, though he discourages the notion, there was something of the recent Red Wing upheavals in the front office involved in Howe's decision. And we've talked about that before, and George uh, gives a little bit of that to us now. George writes that Ned Harkness, the club's new general manager, tore the team apart last season with a sequence of trades. Lost in the turmoil was Sid Abel, once a line mate of Gordie Howe on the old production line, and the man who had guided the club for the eight previous seasons. Howe was unhappy, but it was not his nature to carp, and he said he would not break with the Red Wings, as did Abel. Howe says that Harkness was misunderstood. Everybody loves said Abel, so right away, Ned was looked on as, as the villain. But, Gordy said, I really have a great admiration for him. Gordy said that when things were going badly, Harkness marched right down the aisle with all the players. Now, Gordy will remain with the Red Wings, though in what capacity at this point in time was still unclear. He made $100,000 with the Red Wings last season, and in fact, he had a contract for this season that he's walking away from. Norris and everyone connected with hockey, of course, they realize the value of Gordy Howe, either as a player or as a living legend. On the ice, he was an incomparable figure, Big and husky with a long and effortless stride and a grace of momentum that suggested laxity that simply belied what was going on on the ice. It was far from laxity. For one does not play hockey for 25 years when 20 is the longest anyone 
before had ever played the game. You don't score nearly 800 goals when 600 is the most anyone had ever scored. That's not laxity. Howe's game was power. In fact, among NHL players, there were two nicknames Gordy had. Blinky, because he blinked his eyes a lot when the sweat would run in his eyes, but a word and a name that only the players used around Gordy, they called him Power, and Power was his game. Power was in his neck and shoulders and arms and wrists and in his legs. And through in the late years, he rarely showed a trace of temperament. The newcomers knew his legend, and they made way for him. The classic picture of Howe is of his profile gliding toward the goal, fending off pursuers with his free hand, pressing all the while on a wary goalie. He was at one time openly acknowledged as the toughest gut fighter in all of hockey, and that was a reputation that Gordy really didn't uh, like. Nonetheless, several players, Toronto's Teeter Kennedy and New York's Lou Fontanato, to name just a couple, owed the end of their careers to challenging Howe in a fist battle on the ice. He was a classic in his style as a complete team player, as a scorer, and as a symbol of his game. Gordie Howe has passed from hockey, and it is less of a game because of it. Now, I misspoke a, a bit about about George who wrote this uh, previous. He is the executive sports editor of Detroit, Detroit Free Press, as everyone knew at this time, the sports editor was the great Joe Falls. Joe Falls is a baseball guy. There's no question about that. And I read Joe Falls in the sporting news for many, many, many years. I didn't have access to the Detroit Free Press. That's how I knew who Joe Falls was. And I loved to read his weekly columns in the sporting news. Joe Falls, though, was also a Gordie Howe guy. And he wrote this column. And this will be our, our final uh, article of the week but I, I had to put it in there because you'll see just how Joe Falls uh, how much esteem he held for Gordie Howe the golf cart came rumbling across the long wooden bridge on the fifth hole of Plum Hollow and even from a distance you could see who was driving the first thing you could see were those sloping shoulders strong and powerful with the muscles bulging through his polo shirt the next thing you noticed was the neck always the neck it was thick and heavy and set in the shoulders like a hunk of beef and then finally the nervous blinking those twitching eyes you'd seen a thousand times before this was Gordy Howe on the day of his retirement playing nine holes with his 16 year old son Mark how do you say farewell to Babe Ruth as he stands there at home plate, his once powerful voice now a mere whisper in the quiet of Yankee Stadium? How do you say goodbye to Joe Lewis as they help them back into the ring, stricken, his eyes glazed, his body limp, the victim of Rocky Marciano's murderous fists? How do you say so long to Big Red, the mighty man of war, as they lower his body into the ground at the hilly slope just outside of Lexington? With Gordy Howe, the greatest hockey player in history, it's easy. All you do is shout to him, hey bum, your ball's over there in the bushes. Now you can say this because this is Gordy Howe, Gordy Howe, the man. We stood there, photographer Ira Rosenberg and myself, waiting for Howe to drive up in the cart. As he approached, I called out, thanks for spoiling my day, now we gotta get your picture. And then, that quickly, as if with a backhand slap into the corner, Howe shot back, I'm not posing in the bushes, get me out there on the fairway. And of course, a big smile covered Gordy's face. So even as his body betrayed him, Gordy's mind remains completely agile, keen, quick, sharp, and incisive, and friendly. Gordy was always friendly. Joe continues to write, That's Gordy Howe, the most disappointing athlete I have ever known in my life. I've watched this man play hockey for 25 years, the last 18 of them as a sports writer in Detroit. I pride myself on being a professional newspaper man, always taking an objective view of what I am witnessing, except when Gordie Howe 
would hit the post. Or Marty Pavlich would mess up that perfect goal mark path pass. Or when Gordy's high hard one would bounce off the goaltender's chest protector. Then, and it happened every time, I'd pound my fist on the tabletop in the press box of Olympia Stadium, mutter an obscenity, and feel my face flush from anger. Of course, then I keep looking straight ahead as if I'd never done any of those things because a good newspaperman is always supposed to be, above all things, a neutral observer. There's no cheering in the press box. Well, nuts to that. I'd always felt if Gordy had shot more, he'd have a thousand goals. And if his teammates converted just half the passes he gave him, he'd have had at least 5,000 assists. Gordie Howe got to me as no other athlete I have ever known. No player in any sport, and this includes them all, ever made more instinctively correct moves in his profession than number nine of the Detroit Red Wings. And then after the game, there he'd be, peeled down to his underwear with those red and purple welts all over his body, the sweat pouring from his face, his eyes twitching, of course, jabbing an elbow into your wrist as you try to talk to him, or yelling over to Sonny Elliott as you try to pin him down with such an important question as, just what does this goal mean to you? Gordy Howe frustrated me more than any man I've ever known in sports. I always wanted him to act important, maybe a little tough, maybe a little surly, hard to get to, difficult to talk to, but Gordy never did. He'd stand there and jabber away with you as long as you'd like it, except you couldn't get him to say, yes, yes, this was the greatest goal of my life, or he'd never say, oh, no, I don't think I'll play after this season. He'd tell you about his boy Marty's slap shot or Mark's uh, tee shot. He'd even talk about his wife's cooking. Sometimes he'd make a face when he'd talk about uh, Colleen's culinary efforts, but he wouldn't talk about himself. You try to get him to talk about himself, forget it. Joe says, you know, I've always feared this day, the day when Gordy Howe would say he's through. What's it going to be like in the Olympia? What's it going to be like with no number nine starting out and his own end slowly at first, deking this forward, then that one, and then feeding a quick pass to Alex Delvecchio as he breaks in on the wing? I'll tell you, I might not be there for the opening game this year. It's not only me either, it's others. It's the entire community. Every person in this city has to feel a sense of loss on this day. As I came back to the office, young Charlie Jaworski said, gee, don't you think they ought to let him play one more game so we can see him one more time? Norb Saiwa, one of our uh, uh, desk men who was not known as being very emotional, sat there shaking his head saying, Now aren't you sorry you didn't go see that last game? That's true. I didn't see his last game, but I saw others, hundreds of others, and I will treasure every one of them. Well, that's our show for this week, everyone. Uh, Kind of a tough one for me. I didn't think it would be that difficult, but uh, this brought back the, the memories and the emotion I had when I found out that Gordy Howe was actually calling it quits, it really hit me hard. It hit my dad hard, too. My dad would never admit it, but he really had a strong admiration for the guy who was born on the same day he was. My dad, by the way, was a goalkeeper, and he said the reason he had to do that is because all the skating power went to Howe on that day in 1928 on March 31st. So what did we learn in this very eventful week? Well, we saw the NHL teams busily signing players, getting ready for training camp. We saw one team in particular, that being the California Golden Seals with their rookie GM Gary Young, continue to tinker with the roster, finally ridding themselves of all the vestiges of their short past with some cash sales and a major trade that may have exposed the experience of the rookie GM. And sadly, we learned of the retirement of the game's greatest player, at least at this point in history. And even 50 years later, we could still argue that Gordie Howe was the game's greatest performer. 
Now, here's the stories we're working on for next week's show. Toronto's having trouble getting Bernie Perrant to agree to contract, and they will suspend the former Flyers goalie for not signing his contract. All the NHL training camps during the next week will be underway. We'll have full coverage of that for you, and we're going to have some more news on this World Hockey Association thing. Progress has actually seems to be made. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. I can't thank him enough for all his hard work. Andy's going to be here in Port Colborne with me for probably about a year while he does some other work stuff. And we've got some plans uh, for this thing that we're going to try while he's right here and we can work on it together. I can't thank him enough for all the hard work he puts into this thing. Andy also produces podcasts. And if you're interested in putting something together, get a hold of me. I'll hook you guys up. Our intro and exit music comes from the Toronto Indie Rock Group, the very popular Rural Alberta Advantage. They put on a great high-energy show. They're going to start shows very soon, and don't miss the chance to see them play. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course, all the many fine publications at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years. We are on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. Our WordPress site is Hockey50YearsAgo.com. Of course, you can get us on the Hockey Podcast Network here every week. Don't forget our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Hockey50Years. Lots of good stuff in the hopper for this season. It's well worth the $5 a month to subscribe. You'll get some great stuff you won't find anywhere else on the planet. Thanks again to everyone who tunes into our show. This 71-72 season has really got me excited for a lot of reasons. I was talking to a Boston Bruins fan this week who said he was so excited for this year's series of shows because of what a memorable season it is for the Bruins. Well, I am even exponentially more excited than that. I'm not a Bruins fan, but this is a great Bruins season. But there's a lot of other things going on. The Maple Leafs ownership change, and we begin to get a very uneasy feeling about what's going to happen there. Howe's retirement, that's going to be in the news. And the World Hockey Association begins to become a reality. And I'm going to have a ball reporting on how that was covered by the various hockey news outlets around North America. Thanks again, and on that note, we will see you next time. When the ice